Welcome to Season 4 of the Leadership Educator Podcast, your source for knowledge and expertise on facilitating leadership education, training, and development. Interested in keeping up with the leaders' conversations across the leadership discipline? Want to add more to your resource toolbox with practical strategies for teaching, learning, and program design without changing your routine? Well, this is the podcast for you. If you haven't done so already, please hit subscribe so you don't never miss an episode. and welcome to the Leadership Educator Podcast. I'm Lauren Bullock, Assistant Professor of Instruction at Temple University. And I'm Dan Jenkins, Chair and Associate Professor of Leadership and Organizational Studies at the University of Southern Maine. And we are both thrilled for this episode of the podcast. We're joined today by Sharna Fabiano, world-renowned tango instructor, life coach, and author of a recently released book, Lead and Follow, The Dance of Inspired Teamwork. Welcome to the show, Sharna. Thank you so much. I'm really happy to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to have you here too. Um, so we finally got a chance to, to interact and let's see, it was 2018 and the West Palm Beach International Leadership Association Global Conference. And we were talking a little bit about this before we started recording where I had been introduced to the video that you produced with uh, Ira Shalif, who, who wrote Courageous Follower and had used that in my in my teaching. We're gonna ask you a little bit about that video um, later, but I'd used it so many times in teaching and workshops that I had done. And I think you were sitting across from me and I was like, who is this person? I know this person, I've, I've seen this face and, and finally realized, oh, that's, that's Sharda Fabiana from the, the Tango video that she had produced um, for, teaching, for teaching followership. And I think it was at Association of Leadership Educators Conference maybe 2014 or 2015 in San Antonio, Ira Shaloff was the keynote speaker. And I had never, I didn't know much about followership. I was just slowly introducing it into some of my teaching. And as part of his keynote, he, he showed the video and loved the metaphor and just loved that approach and was so excited when he reached out to me um, to let me know that the book was coming out and I got an opportunity to, to write a, a little blurb to, to promote the book and was glad to, and just so excited to, that you're able to share some of this life's work with the leadership community and specifically our leadership educator community. And in doing so, you know, I'd love for just for context, like, can you tell us a little bit about your background? Like, how did you end up being a tango instructor and and getting connected to this kind of world of leadership and followership? Well, uh, I I will say that the the book definitely wouldn't exist without Ira Shalif. So there's, that's a really important part of my history with, with him. The tango itself is is all about leadership and followership. And I think that, you know, that's what brought me together with Ira, of course. But so many times when I was teaching tango over the years, people would say to me, oh, I, you know, I took this lesson into my um, my work life or my marriage or my, you know, creative life, you know, um, over and over again, you know, this kind of story would come out of my classes or just anecdotally, you know, at social events. And so it's a world in, in which, I guess what I want to say is a world in which people are not just doing it for entertainment, but they're finding these sort of deep insights, you know, around relationship and what it means to be, you know, a leader and to express, you know, clearly your desires or your ideas and, you know, what it is to support someone and um, to fill out their vision. So these conversations are really alive in that world. And I'm saying that because, I think that's really what drew me into it at the beginning, you know, back in the late nineties um, when I was just trying all different dances, when I tried this one, I realized, wow, this is a deeper exploration, right? It's not just for fun. Um, so that was kind of the beginning for me. 
I love that this seems like a very natural progression for both leaders and followers. So like I teach a class communicating leadership and we start with, you know, the origins of leadership research and move our way through to like transformational and authentic and some of the the leadership theories that start to, um, I don't want to say center, but really value both the leader and the follower and the relationship. And so like Dan was saying, I agree, the metaphor is so easy. And I'll say I'm new when, when Dan suggested having you on the show and I did my research, I saw the video and I was like, oh, this is going in my canvas today um, because it's, it's just such a very like simple, easy way to share with, you know, my students kind of how we can work together. And it's not just the leader, not just the follower. I love that centered approach. Um, I'm wondering a little bit, like, how did you transfer like the concept of this dance metaphor into writing your book? Um, how did that kind of process come about for you? It took a long time. And I think it, it took a while because dance is an embodied language, right? It, it, you know, we do talk about it all the time, but the reality of leading and following is, is, is a nonverbal, right? And so, you know, I mentioned that people would often have these insights in classes and take them into um, other parts of their lives. But I, at the time, you know, this is, I'm saying maybe before I met Ira and before he planted the seed of, you know, followership exists outside the dance realm, you know, um, I didn't really, my, my mind wasn't really thinking about writing, you know? So when Ira said to me, um, you know, I'll, I'll tell you really briefly, I guess he walk, walked into my class one, one day, uh, and this was, I think maybe 2008 ish, uh, in Washington, DC. I was living there at the time. And I, you know, he was new. So that was all I knew, but people were always walking into my class new, you know, it was a drop-in class. Um, and I had no idea who he was. Uh, so one thing about my beginner classes is that because of how I trained, I teach everyone both roles and that's not, not everyone does that. Some people do, and some people divide the class in half. Um, but I teach everyone. And so I was talking about leading and following for a whole hour and back and forth. And Ira will tell this story and you know, he says the whole time he was sort of just giggling to himself because I had no idea who he was. And so at the end of the class, you know, he came over, introduced himself and explained, you know, I, I do this work with followership, you know, in, um, in government agencies, you know, in nonprofits, in the, in the whole wider world. And I thought, wow, that's amazing. All right. Because all I knew was that a few of my students had said, oh, I have these insights. But I had no idea there was a whole community out there exploring it. So that just gave us an instant connection and uh, we formed a friendship and we made the video as Dan described, which now seems like, you know, <laughs> another part of my life. And, you know, during that process, he encouraged me to write about followership from the perspective of a dancer, because that he said, I, at the time he'd said he, he hadn't heard it described right in the way that, that I was describing it in the class perhaps because of the specific nonverbal language, right, that, that we had. And another thing about tango that's interesting is that it, it doesn't have a basic step. So a lot of people will look at the dance and say, oh, you have memorized all these patterns, but actually it's just an underlying structure, like a shared vocabulary, and then you improvise. So every step is a signal that's sent and received. And so that means we have to talk all, all the time about like, how are you receiving those signals? How are you interpreting them? You know, how are you sharing information? 
So that was the seed that was planted, but I still, you know, my mind wasn't there yet. So I went to graduate school. I studied a lot about how movement carries cultural meaning and expresses values. Um, that gave me a whole different appreciation of dance and tango and what we were doing together, you know, as two people sharing power in a dance relationship. And then I did my coaching certification and then I had more tools of, you know, mindfulness and behavior change. And, and that all sort of started coming together. And I returned to this seed that Ira had planted, you know, and this is maybe 10 years later uh, and thought, okay, now I think I can maybe make this bridge right from the physical world of nonverbal communication into the verbal um, world of principles and concepts and practices. So the book is kind of a blending of my embodied experience as a dancer with the more cognitive and verbal and word-based technology, so to speak, of the coaching world. And to some extent, like the critical theory world of performance studies and dance studies. So it feels like I was translating, you know, once I had those big chunks of study right in place in my own system, I then started to translate out, you know, from my body into, okay, what would that look like in a conference room? What would that look like on a Zoom call? <laughs> what would that look like um, in a context of a project plan or something like that? So that's sort of how I did it. And I kept going back and forth, back and forth and asking myself, that question. You know, I, it's interesting that you shared that approach, like where you talked about from the beginning teaching both roles. It made me immediately think, I wonder, do we do that when we teach leadership, right? It feels very like chicken or the egg. Do you teach or talk to students about being followers and then leaders? Do you just talk about leadership and then followership? Do you just take them however they identify? Like with, with my students in my comp class, we start with the who are you as a leader? And we don't even think about or get to the follower piece because it feels natural to think that everybody at least feels like they're a follower at some point. And maybe it's less natural for people to think that they are a leader and kind of that's where we start. But I feel like now it's, it's maybe we have to rethink how we approach it and maybe put them on the same platform together or, you know, just be more intentional about how we enter that conversation. Um, it just I feel like I'm going to be thinking about this and I'll, it'll come to me at like midnight or Dan, while we're having a conversation, I'll be like, nope, I got it. This is what came first. But it but it just it, I feel like this conversation has just made me kind of step back um, and really think about like, where do we start in this product? process intentionally. Yeah, I think too. It had me thinking a little bit about currently reading uh, Edgar Schein, Ed, Ed and Peter Schein's uh, Humble Inquiry, and they they use this metaphor of a relay race to talk about this relationship that you you could ideally have in, you know, the workplace or in any organizational setting. And so I mean, it was interesting because, you know, and, and he kind of pokes some fun at the idea that, you know, in, in U.S. culture, how much we use sports metaphors to talk about leadership and organizational culture and what have you. But this idea of the relay is very similar because it it, it takes both. You you got to have communication. You got to have this. You both have to be prepared. You have to. You need two fast, two fast runners if you're going to have a successful relay event. And, and so it it had me thinking about there's there's a great connection to that and and tango. And one one of the things that I remember really well 
from the train the trainer that that Ira facilitated in West Palm Beach those two years, or I guess three years ago now, is we got some time with you where you you facilitated some activities where we actually got to physically engage in tango with some of the other uh, participants in the workshop. And that was pre-COVID. That was pre-COVID. But perhaps I, I would love, you know, I think that there's some definitely some opportunities to do that in the future. Uh, and we got to really um, dive into some of the techniques that you introduce in um, in the video. Can you share a little bit more about how perhaps leadership educators can use the book, what they might learn from the book? I can't wait until I can do movement exercises with people again. It's kind of all I've been dreaming about. As you mentioned in um, at the conference when we when we did it, those movement exercises, they're quite simple. They're very accessible. And one thing I'm working on now that the book is out is a a, a written resource to describe some of them because I think they they can be described and then anyone could take them and do them. But as far as the material itself, it's laid out in a three-part framework. And I think that could be useful for the classroom in particular because it's a, it's a process. It's a connect, collaborate, and co-create. And it's also a cycle. So that mirrors the dancer's learning process and also what happens on the dance floor. And I propose that it also mirrors a healthy team process, right? Like when we met today, we didn't just, okay, so what's your history? You know, we didn't just jump into the conversation with a technical question, right? We introduced ourselves, we, you know, established uh, comfort and that's what dancers do, right? And that's the foundation. You need that. It, it influences what happens next, and so then, you know, the next phase is what's the nuts and bolts? Okay, the work itself, you know, the routine, the scheduling. And, and then the third phase is the innovation phase when everything's working well, then you have great ideas together. You know, it doesn't matter who's leading and following, it just flows. And so that's the cycle that goes over and over again. So I wonder if, you know, students doing a project could architect that and use this as a kind of scaffold. Okay we're starting our meeting. What are we doing to connect and make sure we're all included? We're all safe. We're all seen and heard. And then what's next? You know, how do we organize our work so that it all flows and, you know, et cetera. Uh, and I think it might be interesting for them to observe how their the way they interact influences what they produce, right? So process versus product. Um, and that was a big theme in my dance education as well. Like, how you do something is is what you do in the end. And um, anyway, that's my first thought in, in terms of how you use material without being able to physically interact. But I think with the movement exercises, this hopefully this um, resource I'm in the process of creating, that could be an additional way to just, you know, literally bring it into your body. When you, when you move, you know, you learn in a different way, we all know, than when you just read something or hear it. So then that would make it super powerful as well. Yeah, you had me thinking about it's interesting this this idea about you do need to find that time and we've talked about this on on a recent episode too that you need to find that time during even if it's just a department meeting or your general check-in or your one-on-one or what have you of just like hey like how's everybody doing? 
you, you got to build build some of that rapport, and it's just so so important. And sometimes I have I'm definitely guilty of saying, but but I but I name it. I'll say, hey y'all, I'm big. I got to be really tasky. Just like we got it. We've got 15 minutes. Just this is a logistical conversation. Like, and sometimes I have I have peers and colleagues that will say, well, you know, like real quick, just anybody have it, you know. And sometimes it's a back and forth. And sometimes they'll be like, okay, no, we get it. Like we don't have time for this. But only if it's a if it's in a group that has a a very close knit, like that we're able to respect each other and say, okay, we don't have time to check in today. That's okay. We can send a text or whatever afterward. And so, yes. And, and I think even that too is healthy. And that shows that there's this reciprocal relationship that everybody's on the same page because process is so important, so important. And Ironically, Shine talks about about that too. I'm starting to see some some overlaps that I hadn't even really thought about between your work and and some of the organizational culture stuff about, and probably the culture of what goes on, you know, on the dance floor and, and within different different types of dance. Just how important that process is, because you know, Shine had said, "Hey, if you want to change a culture, you got to change the process." And so I would imagine too, the the process among a dance team or, or among dance partners is going to ha- have such a huge influence on the product of of what you actually see when when the performers are, are out there on the stage. I'll too jump in there. I love that that process part. And, and I, it makes me think, so I teach a groups class and inevitably during the semester, students that are working in groups, of course, will have some tension. And it's always, well, this person's actions have caused this problem in the group. And I feel like with the tango, it's 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 the visual of it. You can't pinpoint anybody's one actions or it's all this sequence of, of actions and reactions. Like you said earlier, there's no basic step. It's this underlying structure, but it's all in improvised as you're going through that process. And now I want to show them the video every time they say they have a problem. And I'm like, okay, so is it this person created it or you two together and how you're reacting is, is stopping this beautiful dance. And, and if that's the case, I feel like it then gives them more agency to go in and, and say, okay, we, we made a mistake on this step. Let's recenter and get started kind of back where we are. And I think that's a valuable resource as an educator to have, because what I'm learning is I can show them YouTube videos and we can have discussions after, but if we're not practicing what we're doing in those classes, then they're just walking away with, with, with phrases and, and knowledge, but they're not walking away with anything that they can do. And I love that this video just is, it's so universal and basic. Everyone has, has, well, I hope everyone has danced at some point. I don't want to assume, but I feel like everybody's done a two-step. Um, but, but I just feel like this is such a valuable activity. And when you're ready for the resource book, you let us know, cause we'll go look at that too. Um, cause I feel like we're just always looking for these different activities, uh, to help further the, the learning in this space. Um, I will make sure, though, that it's a socially distanced dance activity when I bring it back in my class, when I return to class, whenever that is. Um, But again, I I just feel like it's so important that we're not just like giving them this information, but we're they have some time to play around with it. Yes. John, is there anything that we didn't ask you that you'd want to share with listeners about the book or about your 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 work? Well, I was I thought of a story when Lauren was speaking about when disruptions occur when disagreements come uh, come up and the temptation is to blame the problem person. I thought of a story that for me was very powerful in in my dance career. I was I was teaching with a, a partner, a new partner, who, someone I respect a lot. Uh, his name is Javier Rochwarger from Buenos Aires. And we were rehearsing the, the class material and I didn't, I didn't step where he wanted me to step, right? And that was 
that's usually very obvious because you feel it in your arms. There's a pull or there's a kind of, you go in different directions. And I immediately blamed myself, right? Because I'm the foreigner. I'm the less experienced one, you know, years wise between us. So I was like, oh, I'm sorry. You know, I'm, I'm so sorry. And he said, just stopped everything. He's like, we'll just do it again. You know, it, he, it was just like not a big deal for him, you know? And he said, no, 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 it's no one's fault, right? I'm paraphrasing here, but he said, no one's fault. We just miscommunicated. And that was like such a, you know, mind opening moment to me, you know, that, that one could look at a situation like that where, you know, in my mind, like an error had been made and he just didn't see it. He just said, no, it was just, we didn't communicate or we didn't understand each other. Let's just try it again. And I thought, wow, you know, when I was writing this book, I went back to that and I thought, what if everyone in every team just <laughs> took that approach, right? If there's something, you know, if there's a disagreement or something, let's just hear each other again. Let's just say it again. Let's go back. I mean, you, you can't resolve every disagreement or just difference of opinion, but still that attitude of like, it's no one's fault. We're just looking for, we're just, you know, his impulse, right? And this is the, the trained dancer's impulse is just to reconnect, right? And to go back to the beginning of that cycle. Something breaks down, down the line, you just reconnect and then you start again. So that, that's been really um, informative for me and it influenced a lot of the exercises I put in the book around setting boundaries or deadlines or things, things like that. A lot of internal practices to keep you present in the, you know, in the face of disagreement or feedback or you know, the invariable um, friction points that, that come up. I think that's such an important principle, I guess I would call it to share because it's, it's not natural, right? Like, I don't, well, I don't know about y'all, but I was raised in Catholic school. And at the time there was no walking this back. Like it was, you're perfect this, this entire while you're in school, but I can imagine teaching students that like, so they're forgiving of each other in general and forgiving of you, unless you're trying to like harm the planet in general, if you're making these big egregious errors, they don't forgive you. But if you just didn't respond to a text or maybe weren't as uh, forthcoming with information in your group project, once you admit it, they're like, oh, okay, great. Now that we got that out of the way, like, let's keep going, right? And so I'm wondering, it's like, how do we then share that approach and create the culture so that students are doing that more wisely um, or more often, or, you know, just with, with the ease that I think you just shared it with in that story, it's just, okay, well, nope, we had a quick miscommunication. Let's get back on track and see how we can reroute it. I, I agree. If we had more of that, I, I do think we'd be in a better place. Yeah. So Sharna, where, where can folks find a copy of your book? Is it on Amazon? Can you just tell us a little bit about where, where they might find it and the book is everywhere. You, the, you, can, you can order it through your favorite indie bookstore, which of course is my favorite way to order it. You can get it on Amazon. You can get it at Barnes and Noble. Um, it's also Kindle if you're a Kindle reader on Amazon. And I have a, a a free book study group starting at the end of the at the end of the month. So if folks want to get together to discuss the material, I have information about that on my website. That's SharnaFabiano.com. Awesome. Thank you for, for sharing that. We can definitely post the link in our show notes so that if people are reading and want to join the group group of people talking about the book, they can get access to that. So um, thank you so much, Sharna, for joining us today. Um, this wraps up our episode of the Leadership Educator Podcast. Um, we look forward to digging into your book some more and following the discussion, and we wish you best of luck this year. Thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure. 
We would love for you to follow us on Twitter. I'm at Dr. That's D-R underscore leadership. And uh, Lauren is at M-R-S-L-A-U-R-J-B. That's Mrs. Laura J-B. And you can find the episodes wherever podcasts are available. And we also encourage you to subscribe and rate us five stars as the more you rate us, the easier it is for others to find us. We'd also like to thank the James M. Cox Jr. Institute for Journalism, Innovation, Management, and Leadership within the Grady College of Journalism and Mass Communication at the University of Georgia. The support was facilitated by Dr. Keith Herndon, William S. Morris Chair in New Strategy and Management. And our wonderful theme music was composed, performed, and mixed by Dr. Matthew White, trumpeter, composer, and educator. And he's currently an associate professor of trumpet, coordinator of jazz and commercial music, and director of ensembles at Coastal Carolina University. You can check him out at www.mattwhitejazz.com. Matt, thanks so much for sharing your musical genius with our audience. And finally, thank you to the Association of Leadership Educators. Check out what ALE has to offer at leadershipeducators.org. We hope you'll listen to our next episode wherever you get your podcast. 